I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my Thoughts on Money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I am Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast, and also your author of the Thoughts on Money blog. I am here. It's a rare occasion. It's been a while. Uh, a past guest, not first guest, but a favorite guest, Mr. Drew Dill. Hello. Now, you want to know the reason that you're not on this podcast very often? Oh, there's probably many good reasons. Are we going to reveal it right now? Go ahead and reveal it. Well, it's because you're a real intellect. Yeah, See, right. I just I just pose as one on the weekends. I remember I had you on one of the podcasts, and um, you were like, hey, yeah, let's talk about this. But like, what was the point of this article? And I was like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so right now you're thinking the same thing about this article, but it's okay. We're going to riff on this. Uh, I I'm wrote an article. Yeah, I wrote an article called "Figuring Out Your Finances." And I can tell you right now, Drew Dill, even though it might not have came off like this on paper, in my head this made sense, and that's all that matters to me. So uh, I want to. I want to be clear. I read it. It made sense. Okay, perfect. <laughs> you understood the point. So what I was trying to get across here, um, me and the gentleman recording our podcast right now, the beautiful and wonderful Brian Tong, are big fans of this game called cribbage that you've never heard of ever heard of yeah or played I, yep okay well me and brian are gonna have to teach you how to play it sounds like it's from the caribbean <laughs> it is not from caribbean from the caribbean no that is not true um but you're getting brian tongue to giggle a little bit so uh it's a great game and what i said in the article is that it's not go fish so i can't teach in in kind of the spur of the moment but it's also not cribbage i mean it is cribbage it's also not bridge if you've ever played the game of bridge Lifetime to master, uh, a, a lot to understand there. But with this game of cribbage, when you're teaching somebody this game, you kind of have to start somewhere. So again, you don't know the game, so this means nothing to you. But I'll tell you, there's two really important numbers in the game of cribbage, and it's 15 and 31. I'm not going to teach you in the podcast how to play, but my point there is, you got a lot of rules, some nuance, some etiquette, and all these things. But you have to start somewhere. And for me, finance is very similar. Uh, there are a lot of metrics, a lot of rules, and perhaps a craft that even over a lifetime you won't master. But somebody like myself that, that wants to be an expert in this craft uh, thinks about, hey, what are the figures uh, or the metrics or the numbers, the 15s and 31s, when it comes to finance? And what I highlighted in this article was three different uh, metrics or figures that I think are extremely important. And then... This was the hard part about writing the article. I tried to tie a thread that those numbers, even though they're quantitative, there were some qualitative attributes because so much about finance is behavioral. And what I broke these categories into was hope, security, and perspective. Because my belief is if these metrics can drive you to have some hope, to uh, empower you to have some security, and to give you some perspective, then they did what they were intended to do. Did that connection point make sense when you read it? You don't have to lie. Well, the three the three titles of hope, security, and perspective made sense. I was a little bit <clears> – <throat> we'll riff on this like you said, but I was a little bit confused as to what correlation the numbers had with each. Yeah, so let's talk that, about does it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So let's start with hope. So for me – Often when you're talking about the performance of a portfolio, somebody's going to say, what is the percentage return? What was the benchmark's percentage return? 
what did the average investor get? And they kind of get in this loss of this comparison game. And it's this huge distraction that really doesn't matter to their financial plan. We've talked about this before. You, you brought up the fact, and I think this is a really good point, that when those questions are asked, they're almost taught to ask those questions without really thinking it through. Of those course. Those types of questions. Yeah. So like today, I went uh, this morning, my, my wife and I, we, we acquired a new home and um, we're remodeling two bathrooms, almost three, and, and, and a kitchen. So we're going through this process of picking everything. I don't know anything about this stuff. So I'm not even equipped with the right questions to ask. So if somebody's coming from a non-finance background, yes, there's going to be these questions that feel intuitive, um, but that they're misleading you from kind of where your focal point should be. So for me, and again, you can redefine this word for me, but for me, hope, uh, both you and I are are believers and we read the Bible. And what, what I believe that means is that you've had some experience in the past that uh, gives you belief and faith that the future outcome is going to be good. And my belief is when it comes to finance, you have to deal with uncertainty. And there's this void you're going to fill where uncertainty lies, where it's either going to be hope or fear. Um, If it's fear, you're going to believe that the worst that can happen will happen. And you're always going to be jittery. You're always going to be looking around the corner and you're always going to be ready to make a knee-jerk change um, to something that you feel uh, equals safety. I'm encouraging people, hey, there's another way you could approach this, and that's with hope. But I believe that you need fuel for that hope. So the metric that I'm saying here, and you know, we use a, a client performance portal and that tool. What I like to start my calls with or my meetings with is I go right to that number. Hey, when you started investing, let's make up a number. You had a million dollars. You've been investing for five years, seven years. Easy to do math in my head. There you go. I could say you got a 10% return and that means something, right? Or I could just say you now have $2 million. So you have 1 million more dollars. And clients who listen to this will laugh because I I use this statement all all the time. You are not going to find $1 million in your couch cushion. Why do I do that? Because I want to express that it's a big deal. And what that should do to you is you should start to meditate and think and kind of just sit there about, man, that's a million dollars. What is that for? It's compensation for the fact that you were willing to endure owning risk assets. So my um, belief here is that if you're able to know that figure and sit on that figure, it should fuel you to have a different belief about the future. Yeah, let's play this out. So when you and that's a great illustration, but that illustration is talking about somebody who has endured seven years. So what do you do to the person who hasn't tasted right the fuel for further hope, like a seven percent return or a ten percent return over seven years? That's that's a fuel, like you said, right, to spark um hope that, you know, going forward that this will, you know, obviously go up and down, but this is good. This is giving me hope that, that more things will go up. But to somebody who inherited money and has no idea, who's never tasted the compounding effect of a 10% yield over seven years, that's different, right? So there's no there's no fuel there other than looking at maybe broad indexes over history, right? Looking at other right right looking at other uh, aspects. Um, fair. Yeah. Well, I've always been a believer. You're kind of teeing up for what I've always described is that you're going to acquire wisdom one of two ways, right? 
through your own experiences or through the study of history. So one of the things I mentioned in that section is that uh, uh, Elroy Dimson, I think that's his name, he's a professor, he's got a pretty well-known book, um, and it's just a yearbook of returns over the last 101 years. That book has to be titled, what's, what's it titled? 101 years? No, The Triumph of Dang. the Optimist. The Triumph of the Optimist. To me, that is synonymous uh, with uh, hope, right? Is that there will be triumph if the belief is that if we've seen good in the past, that we should believe that there's good in the future. Now, again, I, I mentioned this article. I'm not telling somebody to have blind faith. I'm, I'm telling them to look at what the history books has shown us or their own personal experiences and be able to take and focus on that specifically. Yeah. And to, to press on this a little bit more, I think the key thing that human nature and every person thinks when they look at that history, they'll say, yeah, Trevor, Great Depression, uh, what was it, Black Monday in 1987, right, and so forth, the dot-com crash and all these uh, you know, catastrophic events. But there's always this idea that now is different, right, that the next thing that is uncertain is, is different. And how do you – how do you, you ever gotten that objection? Um, how do you deal with that? Just going back to the history and saying it's not different. The one thing that's consistent is uncertainty, but it changes with circumstances possibly. Yeah. What I say to that, it's really, really difficult to plan for something that's never happened before. So then I switch roles. Drew, you've, you've posed this question to me, right? Give me advice. How do you advise me as an advisor to plan for something that's never happened before. You can. Yeah, because we can play the what-if game all day long, right? What if a tsunami uh, destroyed your house in, in San Clemente? What, what plan? Have you, have you talked to your family on where you guys will go and what you'll do? Have you gotten the appropriate insurance? No, you're going to laugh at me because it's never happened before. Yeah. So there is, when you think about risk, part of risk management is to eliminate uh, things that are likely to happen or that can be detrimental. Even if it's an unlikely event, but it can be detrimental to your financial plan, you want to plan for that. But you never get rid of all risk. Right. So you have to understand that you accept some level of risk. Then when you go down that path, you start to, like all financial planning, you put all options on the table. So what if history is not true? And what if the future is going to be different? Great, let's go that path. Show me another way that you could invest. And let's go through that and what risks you adopt. What risk when you put your money under the mattress, right? Then we can talk about inflation. We could talk about your house burning down and that money could actually burn and disappear and, and there's no security there. Okay, then we can talk about a savings account. We can talk about inflation. We can talk about all these pieces and then we can discuss the risks and then we can assign probabilities to those risks. And I'm guessing it'll get you back to the same place of where I started because we as advisors have done those thought patterns and kind of got to the same conclusion. Yeah, that's a great point. So I put in there uh, this one chart. And it, honestly, any chart is is kind of sometimes hard to understand. But uh, if you get a chance to look at the article, all I was trying to show there is that there's two things that make up the balance of your account. It's the money that you put into it and it's the growth over time. And what I tell somebody is that if you go put a dollar in a savings account today, at the end of the day, it's going to be a dollar. Um, if you go put a dollar in the stock market today, 
it could fluctuate, but could be twenty five cents, or it could be two dollars. <laughs> those type of cents. fluctuations yeah. typically don't happen in a day. But the point is, is that the way compounding works is that the the difference between your deposits and the value grow the longer you stay invested. And what I what I did here is I did a chart of just what are the last twenty years of returns, and I, I highlighted an article. I'm not highlighting a, an amazing twenty years. I mean, that 20 years is capturing the tail end of the dot-com crash, the full force of the financial crisis, and the moment we saw in March of 2020. So it's not an an outstanding 20 years, uh, relatively. Um, But in there, by the time you get to year 20, more than 75% of the portfolio value is the growth. Yeah. So what you you look at is that somebody would have had a, a multiple of their money by just going that course. Now, we don't always see it like that. We don't always look backwards, right? So that is why I'm trying to encourage people to go back to that number and look at the growth because, again, I'll be careful the way I say this, but if you want to point the finger and criticize risk assets, you should look in hindsight what they've done for you if you have a 401k or retirement plan or you've been investing for a long time. Because the difference between cash and your risk assets over a long time is a meaningful amount of money. And I don't want you to look at the percentage. I want you to look at those dollars because you know what those dollars mean, right? right. For the illustration I did earlier, or even this one, uh, this person had $500,000 of contributions and over $2 million, right? So they might think, hey, that $1.5 million is the value of my home. You, you know what I mean? It depends right. on the person. Uh, meditate's a weird way to say it, but you should sit and really like – fully digest that number on a regular basis because it will remind you, like I'm saying, that that is the compensation for the roller coaster you're signing yourself up for. Yeah. You ever seen the like investment calculators? It'll say, you know, when you're doing like a 401k, if you con- you make this much in contributions per month, and even if it's like really low and it'll say how old you are and how old you're going to retire. And then it'll show you on a 10% annualized basis over 40 years, what that looks like. It's powerful, and I don't think people really understand that. And this is exactly what you're talking about. Even if you see it once, I don't think you know it just hits you. You have to think about the huge differential between your dollars that you put in, and then the dollars that are yours, but not your hard-earned cash flow that you actually contributed. It's a net of compounding interest. And I do a lot of the stuff for 401k participants, and I show that, and it blows people's minds. Even 35, 40 year olds who've never thought about that. And it's somewhat sad for them because their time horizon is a lot less than the 20-year-olds, right, who enter. But the idea here is that the key ingredient, I think, is time plus compounding, right? You're exactly right. And what finance has so much – the world of personal finance has so much trouble doing is it's really hard to translate these things, right? It's like, hey, how do we take these things, even if they're not complex – like, how do we take these things and just figure out a way to make them palatable so it'll drive somebody to do something, right? Yeah. So much of, uh, you know, some of the behavioral finance work that's done out of the University of Chicago, um, some of the, the small things that they've done, like encouraged 401k plans to have an opt-out button rather than an opt-in button so that everybody's automatically enrolled and then have them assigned to a target date fund rather than a money market fund so that they kind of have to pull away from what may or may not be in their best interest uh, according to kind of the the plan designer. So those things are difficult. And again, fresh in my mind, as I'm going through this uh, remodel process with a general contractor, 
I'm getting asked every single question of every nook and cranny of what they're going to put in there. And some of the time I'm just like, tell me what to do. Like I, 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 uh, decision overload. Yeah. So we'll move on to, again, and I'll tighten that up. I'm going to add a bold sentence at the beginning of that because this isn't published yet. Um, just to say, this is what I mean by hope, is that if you look at the raw dollars of growth that you've experienced, I've got to believe that that's going to help you to celebrate, get excited, and kind of stay the course. And you you need to focus on those times when when markets are good. And I, I tell uh, a lot of clients we've been doing reviews uh, this year, this is a great year for a dividend growth investor. We need to um, not actually do it, but like our conversation should be champagne popping. Like it, it should be some level of celebration and excitement because we know we do that on the other end. We know we cry and complain and dread and all those things. So we got to celebrate a little bit when it's on the other side. You have to have that balance. Yeah, we got to do the happy dance more. I love the happy dance. Instead of the funeral dance, because we always do the funeral dance when it happens. But of course. The happy dance is, is not is not as uh, celebrated, and that's a good point. Next thing I talked about here was security. So, again, making stuff palatable. If you boil it down, I bet most investors, if you kind of helped them to understand this, their financial goal would be financial security. Uh, they want to feel like they have enough. And because there's a lot of variables, inflation, longevity, spending habits, medical expenses, understanding, quote unquote, what is enough is really difficult. And that is why from you understanding the 401k world really well, that's why they've made all those graphics and images and things like the reds and the greens and the speed dials and the, the projections just so somebody could say, Hey, Doc, am I okay? Yes. Two thumbs up. Viable financial plan. Really healthy. Yeah. Yeah. So I tell this to people a lot. I say, hey, if, if I hired you as a financial planner today, my cribbage rule, right? Got to teach you about what 15 and 31 mean. The most important metric. If you only gave me one metric to review in a financial plan review, it would be withdrawal rates. And the math on that's pretty easy. For a retiree, what you take out from the portfolio in a year divided by the value of a portfolio is going to give me a percentage. What I really like to do is I like to juxtapose that percentage next to the actual income that their portfolio produces. Remember, if if people are looking for financial security and you can show them graphically, right, that you're producing X amount of income which is also the same amount that you want to withdraw each year, that should be a settling feeling. Yeah, this this is a huge point because investors, I think, can sometimes get, again, muddled, right? Human nature, when they think of investing, they're thinking about just making the most they can possibly make rather than thinking, wait, this is a dollar investment that I'm making and at the ultimate outcome, right, that you're going to have is going to be the cash value of how this is going to generate income to sustain your life till death. That's usually how it goes. I get there are different variables. But when you think about how can I make the most, I think that starts getting you in this state of anxiety and weird rank speculation. Rather, if you think about it, here's when I'm going to retire. This is how much I need for my portfolio. Can this work? Is this sustainable? I think that is a huge place psychologically uh, to start. And I think it's really helpful for the investor's mind. 
you always compliment me for loving analogies because I love them so much. And uh, what comes to mind for me is I just feel like farming and finance have so much crossover. And uh, I, I used to love watching those old videos. They were the commercials about, uh, what did they call them, Victory Gardens? No idea. Okay, you never heard of this? They were nope. encouraging Americans uh, during the war to kind of uh, how you could take a smaller plot of land and uh, build what's called a victory garden so that you could grow stuff at home and, and feed your family so that more resources could go towards the war. You can read it because I, I, about yeah. it because I, I don't know it as well. World War One or two. Uh, great question, and that's why I love the Google machine. So yep. you'll find that yep. out later. Uh, but you watch these old black and white videos of, of these victory gardens and um, you know, it represents this nationalism of us coming together and, and all these things. But where I think that that relates to finance is that if your family was larger than that little plot of farming could produce, uh, you would be at a deficit and uh, that would be uh, difficult. That would be hard. And and that is what some financial plans are going to look like. Um, for some people, I'm sure it was based on the size of the family and what they were growing, it was, it was just enough. And, and that's what I'm talking about here, where, where there is some level of security there. Uh, you you kind of have to like a, a little bit extra just in case, um, you know, weather doesn't participate or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then the other case, which is a lot of our clients, is that there's more production than they are able to eat or they have an appetite for. And that is where they're charitable to their neighbors. And they figure out other things to do that are legacy and charitable planning and things like that. And that's why uh, we have jobs is to be able to go out to that garden to say, okay, this is going to be more than you need. So what are we going to do? These all this stuff's perishable, right? So yeah. how are we going to distribute it in a manner that uh, matches your desires and kind of the needs around you? Or, hey, there's not going to be enough, so we need to make some adjustments. So I think so much of finance gets back to, uh, one, the withdrawal rates is how we talk about it from a quantitative standpoint, but finance is emotion. So security is what we're really saying when we're trying to figure out that figure. Yeah, that's a wonderful, wonderful illustration. You were pregnant with them. That's what I always tell you. You're yeah. pregnant with illustrations. I see what you did there. Unintended. There you yeah. go. Now, last part I said here, so hope is kind of what fuels us to stay the course. Uh, security is what helps us feel that we're relieving that burden from our shoulders. Uh, the last part I'll say is perspective. Um, financial media or just culture or whatever it might be is going to throw a lot of things at you. So you got to figure out um, – where do you kind of uh, – what's noise and, and, and what actually is substance? Which, by the way, is one of the hardest things to do in this day and age. The last 15 years in particular, it's hard. Yeah. I mean if you go look at your phone and you see your weekly screen time – you're not an Apple user, so you don't get that report. But for people that uh, get that weekly screen time and then they start to look at like, oh, man, I do digest a lot of – uh, media, whether it's social or news or whatever. So it's like unavoidable. If you're a sports fan, you're getting some of it. Um, if you're, you know, just going on Facebook to see what grandma's doing, you're getting some level of it in- injected. So perspective is huge. Um, what I highlighted here is that a hot topic right now is inflation. And one of the things, uh, again, hat tip to David Bonson, he always says is that when you decide in the morning what you're going to wear when you go outside, you might look at the weather. But you're not looking at the average weather across the United States. You're not looking at the average weather across TBG offices, right? You're dressing different if you're in Minnesota or Nashville or New York or uh, in the future, uh, Mr. Uh, some people will be in Bend, Oregon, uh, maybe Drudil. Uh, you're going to be dressing different for, for those cases. So you look at your local weather. You make it personal to you. 
And that's the frustrating part for me about the inflation conversation is that people always want to look at averages and they don't want to make it personal. Yeah. Yeah. When you wrote that, that was very, very helpful. And that's not just inflation. Inflation, I think, is the easier uh, low-hanging fruit for us to talk about. But the inflation numbers um, are going to depend. How much food, how much gas does each family consume is going to look totally different than another family. Family that has five SUVs and they're you know big three fifty diesels, for instance, inflation is going to hit them a lot harder if they're you know big fuel consuming family. Uh, but to the family who owns two Teslas, right, that right there, there's a huge net inflation for energy, and they have solar, for instance, on their power. Um, not having high inflation utilities, they're not going to feel it as much. It's it is personalized and customized to each person, and it's affecting them differently. And knowing that, to your point is helpful because it takes out the noise and then it helps you plan accordingly. If you know what your inflation numbers are and you know where it's hitting you the most, you know what you need to add or cut or to do whatever to figure that out. Um, but yeah, the uh, and it's funny. I think I was hearing David talk about the fact that there's numerous – the Fed the Federal Reserve has numerous indicators for inflation and um, each one of those highlight particular different things. And um, but that tells you something right there. I think there's over five or six major inflation reports um, that have different factors of inflation in it. So, Yeah, some of them are pulling out commodities that are more volatile to get kind of a, a more streamlined uh, understanding and, and version. I mean, David Bonson did a capital record recording with somebody that was kind of an expert in demo, uh, demographics, right? And I love David's posture and questions because every time a statistic was said, he was kind of peeling it back like, does that factor in X or does that factor in Y? Or what do you think causation is? because uh, statistics alone won't tell us the whole story. We have to understand kind of where did those numbers come from and what kind of truth can we derive from it. I think one of the things he kind of asked the the gentleman was like, hey, is is most of your job descriptive or prescriptive, right? Is it mostly you just kind of saying these are what the numbers are or are you also prescribing like um, reasons and solutions for those actual figures. So for me, I, I feel like I haven't heard one person talk about this, and it's absolutely anecdotal because it's personal to me. But I remember in that March 2020 moment, David Bonson and I were talking almost kind of every day because as an advisor, you need support too because your clients are shell-shocked with what's going on, and uh, you can experience as an advisor some fatigue um, and even your clients can influence you when you have, um, you know, four or five frantic conversations, uh, you sometimes can lose confidence of like, wait, 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 like you got to shake your head, get yourself back. And wait, what do I know about history? What do I believe? And, and kind of, um, recalibrate yourself. But one of the things I was talking to David about that scared me in that kind of Q2 moment of 2020 is I was looking at my credit card bills and my family was unintentionally, again, unintentionally spending like 20 to 25% less than we usually did. And I thought, man, that, if it's multiplied across a lot of people, that is going to have an impact on our economy because we understand that a big part of GDP is consumer spending. Huge. So one potential critique, again, I want to be sensitive to this topic of inflation, but if I spent a lot less in 2020 and 2021 was normalized, and 2022 is a, is more because of inflation. If you normalize that over three years for my family, probably not even a spike. Yeah. Um. So I that's why I'm a big believer on personalizing inflation, so that if there is a reason to sound the alarm, it's because 
you're sending alarm for your family and what you're experiencing, not what you're seeing on national averages. Yeah, and there's three sectors of inflation, I believe, that have been in perpetuity for over 15 years, right? Being housing, healthcare, and college tuition, right? And less less hype around those things, but they've had perpetual inflation everything every single year. I think I got those right. Is that right? Those yeah. three categories. And usually, this is the time where you bring up subsidies and what causes that. And uh, well, that's we just get... me being curmudgeon. And yes, yeah, no. but I won't do it today. I'll yeah. save. I'll, I'll save everybody the time. Yeah, no, those things are true. I mean, and that's what makes it personal. Uh, do you have a child in college? Um, does your family? Uh, so I can say I remember as a single person, I didn't even know what my medical was. I don't think I ever went to the doctor. Um, it's very different, as you can attest to, when you have little kids and, and your, your your wife has children and, and things like that. Like there is a whole different look. So if there's inflation in in medical, um, you're going to feel it uh, with as a young family a lot different than you would as a single person. Absolutely, that's a fact. Yes, <laughs> on that truth. <laughs> So, um, again, we, we hope that you read the article. Um, what I was really trying to get across was that uh, you always approach finance from both sides, quantitative and qualitative, um, but really leaning, leaning into those qualitative descriptors because uh, finance is behavioral. Um, and we are the ones that push the buttons and pull the levers and make the decisions. And, and usually – uh, those decisions can be seeped in logic, but they're absolutely impacted by our emotions. So that was kind of uh, the premise for why I wrote this article. Um, before I close this out, any additions or comments or anything you'd like to say? You just shake, you, They can't hear you on the podcast when you shake your head. That's a great point. No, you wrote it so clearly. Oh, gosh. It was so precise that I have nothing further to add. Oh, I appreciate that. The meat's there. The meat. Okay, perfect. Well, um, if you don't feel that way, you're welcome to email uh, Tom at thebonsagroup.com. That's T-O-M at thebonsagroup.com. If it's a complaint, address it to Drew. Uh, If it's a compliment, address it to Trevor. Um, And then uh, we will ask that you rate the podcast five stars or preferred. Welcome to leave comments there as well. And then, of course, uh, our plans are to be back next week with more of our Thoughts Thoughts on on Money. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. 
Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.